morning, everyone. Morning. It's really nice to be here with you. It was November 2015 when I was with you last time. That wasn't in this building. That was in the school when we did a comedy, Christianity and Comedy Evening. I don't know if any of you remember being there, but uh, it's really nice to be here with you. A lot's happened since then. Um, yeah, and a lot hasn't happened since then as well in lockdown, but th- there you go. So nice to be out playing, isn't it? I'm, I'm an extrovert, so I've spent a lot of time genuinely crying in my little study, stuck in front of a computer thinking, this is not what I was born for. So yeah, there you go. But I'm, you've got me when I'm happy again. Because <laughs> I'm as big an extra as you, extrovert as you're going to meet. So, um, so yeah, so don't let me in your home. It'll be a nightmare. I'll, you won't get rid of me. But um, I'm really excited. Now, actually, since 2015, um, one big change has taken place for me. And that is, since then, I've taken on the role in Elim as the National Evangelist and Head of Evangelism. Back then, uh, when I came down in 2015, I had my own trust and organization. So um, it's great to be here with you. This is what we're going to be chatting about. So it's not a normal type of uh, sermon today. It's a little bit different. Is that all right? Uh, good. I mean, I'm going to say you might as well as say yeah, because I'm going to do it anyway. Nothing's really going to change. But I love the positive agreement, though. I love that. That's fantastic. So what I wanted to do is I wanted to share with you what God has placed in my heart, which actually you'll find in the Bible, interestingly enough. It's always a good place, isn't it? Uh, what God has placed in my heart to, as a kind of lead elim in, in, our, in developing our evangelism, really. And let me just say, all of this now has an online element to it as well. So just kind of build that into your own understanding as you would expect. So this morning is there's going to be, I've got like loads of slides if it works. Okay. In fact, I've got loads of slides. If it don't work, it's just that you won't see them. Do you know what I mean? So um, I've got loads of slides. I've got some stories. I've got some bits from the Bible. I've got some really encouraging bits. And I've got some resources, what I have written, which, uh, which are on sale at the end. If that's something you would like to buy, don't, there's no pressure to buy anything. I'll find other ways to feed the children. Don't you worry about it. No, I'm only joking. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm only joking. Uh, but they're there to, to help you in your personal evangelism, really, and to help others. Um, uh, but, but hopefully you'll see, because I don't know what you think about the word evangelism when it's, when it's mentioned. Well, hopefully this morning we can just inspire you and encourage you, and that you'll leave here feeling, yes, not, oh, that's plan A. Is that a good plan A? I I think it's a good plan, eh? So, yeah, let me tell you um, a story about Dave. So, um, So, an interesting thing happened with Dave. But to help you understand about Dave, I need to tell you about Alan. So, one day, I was speaking... Um, in my home church, which at the time was uh, the Elim Church in Huddersfield. So you'll know, well, I assume you'll know, maybe you don't, that this, this church here is part of a group of churches called Elim. And we've got, a, we've got over 500 in the UK and over 4,000 across the globe. Well, on this occasion, I was speaking in the Elim Church in Huddersfield. As I say, it was my home church at the time. And it was a talk 
that basically explains what you and I would know as the gospel, the message of Christianity. Just explaining it in a, hopefully in an, in an enjoyable way, in an informative way. And then at the end, uh, I would give people an opportunity to become Christians. So I did that. And at the end, a gentleman by the name of Alan became a Christian, which is just fantastic, plus one or two others. And uh, so I chatted with Alan at the end, gave him a little booklet that I'd written. And, um, and then probably around, uh, it's a little bit hazy, but around six weeks later, I was back at the church. But this time, I was just going as, as part of the church. It was a Sunday that I'd booked in to attend to make sure I'm still connected. Because um, it's really difficult in what I do. You're all over the place. So you literally have to book in. Um, to make sure you get to your home church, because church is really important, right? So, and I think we've realized that even more now, haven't we? So, um, so I'm back at my own church, and there's Alan. Alan comes up to me. He's got this massive smile on his face, like he's beaming. He's so enthusiastic. You know, like when first people become, when people first become Christians, and then once we've, they've been with us for a couple of years, we manage to knock it out of them. But in, in the first instance, they're really excited, aren't they? And it's like written on all over their face and Alan was buzzing he's saying oh Mark I can't do enough to thank you for everything that you've done for me my life has changed my wife's now a believer my daughter's coming along and um, I can't remember what other family members he had and whether they were coming along but certainly this had begun to impact his family now so he's buzzing and he's, he's saying to me oh Mark I can't do enough to thank you what can I do to pay you back and I'm I'm in that awkward moment where I'm thinking this this isn't me it's the Lord do you know what I mean and, and, and I mean, I, I genuinely know that it's God who saves and rescues people, not me. I've just got to be the best that I can, the clearest that I can, and take as many opportunities as I can to explain it to people. So I, I dealt with that years ago. Um, so I'm genuinely saying to him, oh, it's not me, Alan, it's not me. He said, but no, no, but, but, but you've made such a difference. What can I do to say thank you? So I'm thinking I've got to get him off subject here because it's getting a bit embarrassing now. So I just said to him, Alan, what do you do for a job? He said, oh, I'm a printer. Pause just there. Now, what you need to understand is up to this point, I'd, been, uh, I'd produced many of the books that I've got now I produced way back when in, in more simpler forms or printed off an Epson stylus inkjet printer. Who remembers those heady days? I, I remember doing a gospel leaflet which we gave out in the rain which had been printed on this Epson stylus inkjet printer. The problem is it's not waterproof. And we were handing them out and like all the print was running. It was, it was a nightmare. At that point, I thought, I need to get a laser printer. So I finally got a laser printer. How impressive is that? A colour laser printer, I know. Heady days, heady days. And, um, but eventually I thought, this is ridiculous because like loads of churches were wanting to start to buy the leaflets, the booklets. And I was printing them, guillotining them. My, my back room at home in my terraced house in Bradford, where I lived at the time, I lived in Bradford and travelled across to Huddersfield, um, it's just around the corner, it was beginning to resemble a print shop and it was that lovely smell of freshly printed paper, so nice. Uh, but I thought I can't carry on like this and I'd managed to sell like thousands upon thousands upon thousands and it had earned a small amount of money, a thousand pounds and I thought I need to get these printed because more and more people were wanting them and I just, I can't keep up with this, I really can't. 
So I was praying like mad, Lord, I need you to provide, I need you to provide. But I know I needed about four grand. And I couldn't even afford to pay my salary properly in those days. It was really, really tight. In fact, I hardly earned a salary. Had it not been for my wife working, would have really, really struggled. But, you know, God provides in all sorts of different ways, doesn't he? And I'm cool with that. Um, so I meet, meet Alan, and I said to Alan, what, what do you do for a job? He went, I'm a printer. And I looked and I thought, oh, <laughs> There might be some way you can help me and say thank you. <laughs> so I, I said to him, look, if you do want to say thank you, um, the best way to say thank you is to help me to get this message out to as many people as possible. So I told him about the story. He said, I'll bring them all around. He said, I'll pay for them all. He said, we'll cover it all. It won't cost you a bean. So I said, no, well, with integrity, I'd got a thousand pounds and I'd been praying and asking God to, 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 to um, provide the rest of it. So it was important to me from an integrity perspective to, to pay the thousand that I had. Does that make sense? So I go around to his office, uh, his studio and print shop on the Monday morning. And uh, <laughs> you know, like when people, have you ever met people who are not very um, sensitive? Yeah, that's a worrying laugh, okay. There's obviously nobody in this church like that either. I mean, we're talking the churches down the road, right? Okay. Um, <laughs> don't know what the churches are down the road, by the way. I just insulted them. But, but like Alan had like not long been a Christian. You, as I say, you're talking six to eight weeks or something like this. So I walked into his print shop, and he introduces me to his designer. And this is the introduction. Mark, this is Dave. He's my designer. He's an atheist. Get him. <laughs> and I do that thing, you know, like when your kids embarrass you, when they say things in public that they shouldn't really be saying, you sort of do that thing where you go, oh. What they like, yeah, yeah. I started to do a version of that. <laughs> anyway, so um, Dave, so Dave said to me, "Nah, I'm an atheist. You won't get me." Well, I like a challenge. I like a challenge, and so I, I don't know why I said it. I said, "Dave, me and God, we're going to get you." And then I'm thinking, did I just say that? Do you ever do that? Do you ever open your trap and think? That should have stayed inside, do you know what I mean? <laughs> but it didn't. So I looked at Dave, I said, hey, look, Dave, what'll happen is you'll read all the booklets, all the leaflets, and you'll be designing them. It'll all fall into place. It'll all make sense. And he said to me, no, not me, because I'm a designer. We don't really read text. Now, I've worked with a few designers, and I do sometimes wonder whether they've read the things that I've sent them to design for. If there are any designers here this morning, this is clearly not you. You're a proper designer, not one of them who doesn't read anything. Anyway, long story short, I go back a couple of weeks later uh, to pick up the stuff, all been signed up, all been printed, uh, and um, I'm carrying them to the boot of my car, a Citroen BX 1.4. Do you remember those? They're really comfortable, those cars. Suspension goes up and down like that, which is really good because basically there were 30,000 leaflets and 10,000 booklets all in my car, okay? And so Dave's carrying them along with me. He says, oh, Mark, I'll give you, I'll give you a hand to, to, to the car. I said, oh, thanks, Dave, really appreciate that. And we'd not long, not far off sort of packing everything in. And he just said to me, oh, by the way, Mark, he said, um, <clears throat> you got me. And I'd completely forgotten about the conversation. I'm going, what do you mean you've got me? I thought maybe I'd trapped his jumper in the, in the car door or something like that. Do you know what I mean? He went, you and God, 
you got me. And then I suddenly remembered the phrase. I said, oh, tell me more. He said, well, basically, Mark, what you need to know is when I was at university, so this would have probably been maybe about 12 years before this moment in time. He said, what you need to understand, when I was at university, he said, I had a friend who was uh, a Christian. I think he'd met him there, and I think they'd become really close friends. And his friend had said to him, Dave, I need to tell you something about me, but I want you to let me tell you everything. He said, but then I'm not going to tell you again or talk to you about it unless you ask me questions. He said, and this guy was a Christian, and he basically told Dave everything, his story of faith, the gospel message, gave him everything, quite, quite strongly actually, and never said anything again as promised unless Dave asked him. So fast forward back to this moment, I'm picking up the booklets, we've just put them into the car, Dave said, you've got me, you and God, you've got me, tell me how it happened. He said, well basically, he told me the story of his friend. He said, but I watched, I watched how my friend lived his life. And, I, and all the things he used to say to me when we did have conversations. And he said, it's like, when I read your booklets, he said, and you used the phrase, it's like it all just fell into place. He said, it's like I went on a journey and um, it all made sense. How cool is that? It's really exciting, isn't it? I tell you that story because, for a number of reasons, because even though Dave hasn't designed this last bunch of stuff, he was there right at the beginning designing stuff, and he was impacted through printing. Funny how God knows how to speak to people, isn't it? But here's the lovely thing. It was his friend some 12 years earlier who'd shared his story with him and his faith, and he'd obviously lived his faith out well and now he reads this stuff given to him by somebody completely different 12 years later and it all starts to slot into place i tell you that story right at the beginning because i believe that is the normal way that people come to faith i've never met anybody who's gone to bed an atheist and woke up wanting to be a christian i'm not saying they're not out there i've just not met them now, when you consider I've been doing this for 33 slash 34 years all over the UK and never met one, but I have, have met lots of people like Dave for who there's been a little bit of a journey. So just hold that thought because as part of our national evangelism vision, we want to encourage every Elim church and every Elim Christian to go on a journey with some people that don't know Jesus. But don't be disheartened because they haven't come become a Christian overnight because actually it doesn't happen very often. See, we really believe in churches as Elim. It's one of our real priorities. Don't you think church should be a place where anybody can come along and have an, an exploration of the Christian faith? Whatever their background, wherever they're at in life, and I loved, you know, Kev, what you were reminding us about the small groups, about discussions, and it, don't you want your church to be that kind of place where any single person can come along, feel at home, and can journey with us, however long it takes them. So we really believe in churches. We really believe in leaders, equipping leaders. And for me as an evangelist, I want to equip even more evangelistic leaders. We really believe in nations. That there's, it's nations across the UK as well as across the globe and across the world. We, we want to reach more nations for Jesus. And what I want to particularly chat to you about today is we really believe in disciples. 
making brand spanking new disciples, as well as helping those who are already Jesus' followers. But we want to do it on a journey base. We don't want to kind of, right, you make a commitment to become a Christian and that's it, you're in. Let's journey with people all the way up to and all the way after. See, I think journey is really important. I gave you the story of David, but here on my notes, I've got a list of scores of people who have been on a journey to faith. I've seen some of them go from atheists to Christians. I've observed it over an eight, nine, ten-year period. And that's really accelerated something in me that I want to deposit in your heart this morning because anybody can journey with people. Anybody, whoever you are, whatever your background is, more about that in a few moments' time. But um, have you noticed that everybody's on a journey? I mean, you probably have, we're all on a journey. You probably don't know why I went slightly camp when I did that, but you know what I mean? We, we, we say that, we talk about, hey, I'm on a journey, I'm on a journey. It's, it's a real kind of like buzzword at the moment. Lots of people are using it outside of the church. But I want to suggest to you that the word journey is not just a buzzword, it's actually a biblical concept. Here's an amazing reading that really impacted me. If you want to find it in your Bibles, it's Acts chapter 26, verse 28. The context here is the Apostle Paul, as he's now known, is talking about his life of, of how he gave his life to Jesus. In other words, when he was Saul. So he's, he's explaining this. We have three kind of narratives, three stories in the book of Acts about that all piece together some interesting stuff about the Apostle Paul's conversion. You have it in, my mind's just gone dead on me, I think it's Acts 8, where it's the kind of literally as it happened type of thing. And then you also have it in um, about Acts uh, 22, where he's telling his testimony in the marketplace. And then you've got it here in Acts 26, uh, where he stood in front of King Agrippa recounting his testimony. And then, so he's been delivering his testimony, explaining what has happened. And then King Agrippa says this to him, do you think in such a short time you can persuade me to become a Christian? Now, I think that's most Christians' expectation and pressure in evangelism, that we've got to have a conversation, and in a tiny amount of time, we've got to persuade them to become a Christian. And sometimes we're not very sensitive because of that, because we feel the pressure of the moment. Sometimes we just kind of like blast it all out, you know, like a kind of big massive phrase and loads of religious words that people don't understand, because we're kind of operating under pressure. So first thing I want to say to you, chill out. Chill out. Relax. Don't work on short time pressure trying to persuade people to become a Christian, especially with permanent friendships like family members, neighbours, the people that you see more often. Sometimes you might have to just bang it all out in what's called a passing relationship if you just happen to get into conversation with somebody on a bus that you're never going to see again then arguably maybe but I would still always try and encourage people to actively create journey anyway King Agrippa said to Paul do you think in such a short time you can persuade me to become a Christian 
Paul's reply is brilliant. Short time or long. I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today will become as I am except for these chains. Now, this is really interesting because as Paul's having this conversation with King Agrippa, there's a guy called Festus present. Great name, isn't it? Festus is not happy. He's kicking off, quite frankly. He says to Paul, Paul, you're bonkers. He actually says, you're out of your mind. It's what he says to him. Paul says, I'm not out of my mind. What I am saying, hear these two words, really important, is true and reasonable. And so often in our evangelism, because we've had these short-term moments, we've presented the gospel simply as true. Now, it is true, and that's why we're not ashamed of it, because it really is the power of God unto salvation. It's made an impact in our lives. It's transformed us, and we desperately want it, do we not, to transform other people. So it is true, but it's reasonable as well. And a lot of our evangelism has been based on just speaking the truth rather than taking time to show that it's reasonable. Did you know being a Christian is a reasonable thing to do? You don't throw your brain out the window when you become a Christian. It's not illogical. It's not just a a leap into the dark and nothing more. Not at all. But we don't often take the time to show people that it's reasonable. And that's why journeying with people is so, so important. It's reasonable and it's true. Short time or long, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today will become as I am, except for these chains. Now, I'm not trying to do an in-depth Bible study uh, today, but I do just want to say it's interesting how when we think about the Apostle Paul, or Saul as he was called at that moment, um, we often think about his conversion being almost an overnighter, don't we? In fact, I'm sure you've heard people, you may have said it yourself, you may have stood up in a baptismal service, I'm sure you've heard it, where somebody said, now, it, it wasn't a blinding flash of light for me, it was much more gradual. Have you ever heard that said when somebody's been telling their testimony? And what they mean is it, it wasn't a Damascus road like what Paul experienced. It wasn't this blinding flash and then he became a Christian. The truth is, actually, if you read about Saul slash Paul (laughs) and understand anything about him, you'll realize it wasn't an overnight sensation with him either. In fact, he already believed in God. He was schooled under a chap called Gamaliel, who was one of the most prestigious teachers. His parents were God-fearing people. Saul believed and feared in God. What he needed was an encounter with Jesus. Not just Jesus the person, because he would have probably have had that encounter with him. Well, there's a good chance that um, Saul would have heard Jesus speak. So he knew about Jesus. He saw the impact that Jesus this person was having because the the church was growing and that's what he was trying to eradicate and get rid of because he hadn't had an encounter not with Jesus the person but with Jesus the crucified risen Jesus I think in our journey with people we need to introduce people to Jesus the person and we also need to introduce them to the crucified risen Jesus and that's what Saul had on this night, he had this incredible encounter. Uh, he had a little conversation, and it's funny. He said, 
Saul, why are you persecuting me? And then he said this really weird thing. It's impossible for you to kick against the goads. It's not a phrase I've used very often, though you may have heard the phrase, they were goading them. Have you heard that phrase? The crowd were being goaded like at a football match or a rugby match or something like that or where there was a crowd that had been out drinking and another crowd had been goading them and then it all kicks off. And what goading means is it basically means prodding. It's actually an, an old agricultural implement shaped not dissimilar to a pool cue and the farmhand in Bible times, what they would do is if an oxen was there and it was laden with a load of stuff to move, but it didn't want to move, you know, a little bit like Saturday mornings when you're having a lie-in, it didn't want to move. What would happen is the, the, the farmhand would get the goad and it just gently nudge. It wouldn't be like a big kind of smack over the head, like one fell swoop to get it moving. It'd be this gentle nudging. And the idea was it'd become more comfortable to get up and move than it would to stay where it was. Jesus has been saying, it's impossible for you to kick against the goads. I've been prodding you, you know, Saul. In other words, it's inevitable that you're going to give in. We don't know 100% how Jesus goaded him because it doesn't really tell us, but we know a few things, so we know he was present at the stoning of Stephen. Uh, scholars, which are people that know a lot more about the Bible than me, which to be fair isn't difficult, but scholars tell me that Saul's sister-in-law had become a follower of the way. He'd seen Jesus, and you know like often people who re respond the most violently and angry, there's often something beneath it. So we, we know that some stuff had happened. We know he understood about God. But what he just needed was an encounter with the crucified, risen Jesus. It says to me that Jesus had just been gently nudging him. Have you ever found yourself saying, oh, they're not, they're not that far away from becoming a Christian. And there's something in you going, oh, why, why haven't they become a Christian? Because it's like you talk to the people about sin and they agree with you. They even recognize their own personal problem. Have you ever had those conversations and you're thinking, oh, it, it, can't, it can't be that long. They're, 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 they're not far from the gates of heaven, I've heard people say. Because people just go on this journey and sometimes that kind of nudging over the final hurdle, whatever you want to call it, can sometimes take a little while. And that's why we've got to journey with people. And that's why Saul, or Paul as he's now called, said these words, short time or long. You see, Paul knew more about the long-term conversion than we think. That actually was his story. So I think that's really, really important. Have you ever seen this picture anywhere? It's called the Shalutica Bridge. Don't know if you've heard about the Shalutica Bridge. If you want to now feel absolutely free to um, pick your phone out, this is one of the few times where the preacher gives you permission to get your phone out. Okay, it's spelt. I've got to check because I'll not remember. Okay, it's called. The, it's spelled the C H O L 
U-T-E-C-A, the Shalutika Bridge, um, also known as the Bridge of the Rising Sun. It was built by Hazama Ando Corporation between 1960, 1996 and 1998 and became the largest bridge constructed by a Japanese company in Latin America. In the same year that the bridge was commissioned for use, Honduras was hit by Hurricane Mitch. Some of you remember Hurricane Mitch. That caused incredible devastation and damage to the nation and its infrastructures. Many of the bridges were damaged, including the old bridge that this replaced, um, while some were destroyed, but the new Shalutika Bridge survived with minor damage. The bridge itself was in near-perfect condition, but the roads on either end of the bridge had completely vanished, leaving no visible trace of their prior existence. In other ways, in other words, the bridge still remained intact, still a beautiful piece of engineering, but the, the point of the bridge was no longer intact. <laughs> Undeniably, it looks lovely. It looks lovely. But the hurricane had been so severe that it actually made the river change its course. So the river originally went under there. What makes this even more frustrating for the people, this hip happened in the year that it was actually commissioned for use. So they built it all, cheered, had the pie. I don't know what you do to launch a bridge. I don't know if it's like a big bottle of bubbly like you have on a ship. I don't know what the technical thing is. But in the year it actually became active, this is when this um, hurricane Mitch happened. And the river changed its course. And um, you can see that the bridge, whilst beautiful, is of no benefit at all. It's totally separate to the river. Now, when I was doing this little conversation chat that I started sharing with some of our churches before lockdown, I was saying, and I still believe to a degree it's true, that the cultural river, the river of people outside of the church has changed. Would you agree? The place that people hold the church is no longer there. Um, we, we're not quite as well as connected as we used to be. And whilst I still believe that's true, there is a, a little bit of encouragement because the one thing that has definitely happened during lockdown is people are thinking more about God. We have statistics and evidence, bona fide research that's been done to show that um, prayer has increased during lockdown, but also people watching online services have, have um, increased during lockdown. And I would also say the amount of new people coming to our churches, I was having a conversation just this week with an Ealing minister who have just started meeting again and they've seen 20 odd people become Christians. They're a largest church, so you obviously it's take that into account. They're a church of about six, 700. But these people never came to church, they became Christians in lockdown through the online stuff, and now they're coming and being baptised. Some have since become Christians as well, but there's lots and lots of people who aren't Christians that are rocking up to our churches. It's really, really and that's a national picture, by the way. It's a picture beyond Elim, and it's a picture beyond a local area. So there is a sense in which people are thinking about the church, but there's still a whole bunch of people, and we want to be a bridge to the world, don't we? We want to be a bridge to the world that Jesus can walk over. There's nothing wrong with the church. The church is beautiful. It's imperfect. Of course it is. That's because you're in it and I'm in it. Yeah, so it's, it's always going to be a messy thing. 
But you know what? We've got this incredible opportunity to be relevant. But what I think we need to do is we just need to be wise because it's changed a bit. And that's why we can't always do what we've always done. But there is some real encouragement out there. I don't know if you've heard of a survey called the Talking Jesus Research. If you haven't, you can download it. Uh, some interesting stuff. This was taken before lockdown. They've just commissioned a new one. Um, sort of, uh, It's just being done around now for during lockdown. And it reveals some really, really interesting things. It said that, showed us that a lot of people knew somebody that was a Christian. Well, that was a surprise because it's not what the media had said. They said we'd become irrelevant. But it showed that a lot of people, you've got to remember this was secular research done by an organization called Comres, which is a secular research organization. And they apply the same criteria to this research that they would do if they wanted to find out how many people in the UK owned a dog. You know, it's that kind of set acceptable research parameters that they know this builds up a typical picture of the UK. So it's, they said that a lot of people knew a Christian, and that's the breakdown of, of how these people knew a Christian. Um, the adult survey was done separate to the youth one, um, but the results were combined to give us a, a fuller picture. Um, so the youth was done with, uh, with a thousand plus young people and the adults one was done with a thousand plus adults. Does that make sense just for a bit of clarity? But really encouraging stuff. They had positive words to say about the church. Look at that. These, that that's what they think about us. How good is that? I'm not sure about that one, are you? <laughs> Joking. Okay. Yeah, look at that. That's really positive. Okay. Look at this, negative words. Only a small percentage thought we were narrow-minded. Isn't that brilliant? Because everybody you think thinks that Christians are narrow-minded. And yet actually, they say, no, the people that I know that are Christians, they're not narrow-minded. They're not hypocritical. Have you heard it said the church is full of hypocrites? But that's not what they're saying. They said, no, the people that I know that are Jesus' followers, they're not hypocritical. There are some, of course there are. They're not uptight. They're not boring. And they're not homophobic. That smashed something right on the head because everybody out there is saying that the church is homophobic. It's, for me, this is really encouraging. Look at this. Remember youth and adults as well here? One in five and one in six adults, one in five adults and one in six young people wanted to know more about Jesus Christ. Now, I know there's the four in five and the five in six. Stop being so negative. Just be excited that there's a whole bunch of people who want to know more about Jesus. So, yeah. Um, and then look at this. One in five and one in six, very similar stats, were open and interested in an encounter with Jesus. Now, I, I don't know whether some of those were the same people, but I don't mind because what I do know is that one in five adults and one in six young people in some way want to find out about Jesus. Now, for me, that's really exciting when we mention the word Christian, people think, oh, the institution. And that's why I've started to try and use Jesus follower a little bit more. I was inspired by my colleague, Gary Gibbs, who heads up church planting. He was reflecting on this. And I think, you know, I think that's it's probably not a bad move because people have got a negative connotation, haven't they, of the church or Christianity. But this, this research was based upon a Christian they knew. So for me, that's really exciting. So here's the deal. Bearing in mind this cultural change, bearing in mind this, how do we respond? Well, this is where big yes, little yes, 
healthy maybe comes in. I wrote a book, not because I had nothing to do, okay, but I wrote a book um, called Big Yes, Little Yes, Healthy Maybe, a new framework for evangelism. Um, I've been quite blown away by how this has been received and how this has been used and leading figures in evangelism around the UK are talking about this and, and, um, and yet, hear me right on this, I really believe God has given me something for Christians living in the UK to reach people that aren't Christians living in the UK. I really believe God has given me something, and, and that's what this is about. Big Yes is all about creating moments and opportunities where people can become Christians in the classic sense of the word. Little Yes is about creating moments and opportunities where people can make an intentional decision to find out more about the Christian faith. Healthy Maybe is about creating moments and opportunities for people to become open-minded about the Christian faith. And so I wrote this book because I believe passionately in the journey. I really believe that it's important for people who are Christians to journey with people that aren't Christians and walk side by side and think about faith and think about the gospel together. And so I want to really encourage you. I know um, I know finances are always tight, so this is not a, a pressure sales pitch. Please don't see it like this. But I do honestly believe God has, has given me something that will help you in evangelism and understanding the scene that is out there. Uh, Chris Cartwright, who's my big boss, when I say big boss, I don't mean he's weighty, I mean he's, he's the Archbishop of Ealing. He said this book offers, a, a book offers a fresh scorecard for local church engagement with the people we live amongst. It is less of a methodology and more of a pathway, and I think that's so important. It's not about a gimmick or a method, it's about understanding how people come to faith which is something I really believe God has given me um, as a passion uh, to understand how people come to faith. Now, with it, there's a bunch of stuff that I'll, I'll mention to you. Um, and then I'm, when I mention these, I'm going to go on to the sort of the last bit of my talk. And let me just check my watch. Yeah, and then I'm nearly done. All right. So um, this is a, a study guide uh, that you can buy if you wanted to take the book and do it with a group of you, you can go through it. There's um, 10 chapters in here and there's 10 sections in here um, that'll, that'll help you. Um, this book here is called, Is It Possible? This is what I call my healthy maybe book. It's aimed at gently nudging atheists to consider there could be a God and gently challenging those who've decided Christianity isn't for them, but they've never really looked into it. That's, that's to try and get people to become open-minded. This book here, Look Closer, is my little yes book. So it's aimed at giving people something to look into Christianity, to find out more about it. It's got the gospel in it. This is light-touch gospel because it's not, it's not meant to be a gospel-preaching book. It's that journey again. How many of you know that sometimes it's just a question of getting people to think, maybe, maybe, and then we can walk with them. So yeah, this has got the gospel in more of it and he unpacks it in lots of different ways and then this is my big yes book this is for people who have just become christians or are almost there there's lots of stuff and all of these have got um 
QR codes and websites where people can go and watch videos, testimonies, input. They've set all of that up so that people can go and investigate themselves. And then this book is a, a little book I wrote, um, Faith Book, How to Share Your Faith with People of Other Faiths. That's so how to journey with those. And then this book here is a book on handling tricky questions that I wrote. How many of you know that when you get involved in faith sharing, there's always going to be questions that come up? And it's not that people are always trying to trip us up. They're genuine often, and we want to be able to journey with them. So if you'd like to get those, they'll be in the back where the tea and coffee is. I have got a card machine, so you can pay by card if that works better for you. But all of these books to help us to go on a journey with people, to journey with them, to equip us to do so. And they, they, they are books that you can give away to people as well, particularly these three books here that, and the, the, um, the Good Answer. You wouldn't give the faith book and the big yes away to people that aren't Christians. That's just to help you. So I think it's really important. So how do we do it? Now, I don't want to talk for too much longer, you'll be pleased to know. So fasten your seatbelts, because we're just going to put the boot down. Okay, we're going to race through this next bit, because I do, I do want to be, um, to be disciplined. How do we do this stuff? How do we journey with people? How do we get going with people? Words, action, spirit. Brace yourself. I've created this little image, um, which helps to kind of capture all of this stuff together. It's like a picture of an old uh, English milking stool. Uh, the bit that you sit your bum on uh, represents big, yes, look, yes, healthy, maybe the journey by which people come to faith. And the legs, the bit that support it, are relevant words, caring actions, spirit empowered. Those are the legs that inform and support that journey. So we need to work on our relevant words. We need to work on our caring actions. We need to work on being spirit empowered. This will inform that journey by which people come to faith, and it's on that which we sit our evangelism. So relevant words. What, what is relevant words all about? It's, a, it's about dropping all the jargon that we use, but it's also about understanding where cultures are and trying to be a bit more um, intelligent in our mission and trying to understand where your friends are at so you can speak relevant words into their lives. So it's not just about dropping the jargon, but it is about dropping the jargon, but it's, it's more than that as well. Don't use a big word when a singularly unequivocal, diminutive linguistic expression will satisfactorily accomplish the contemporary necessity. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, that says it really straightforward for me. Sermon over, right? In other words, let's stop waffling. <laughs> let's stop being like just oh, crazy. Let's just be normal, everyday people living our faith out using relevant words to articulate to people. Assemble the people, the men, the women, and the children, and the aliens living in your town so they can listen and learn to fear the Lord your God and follow all, carefully all the words of this law. Assemble, listen. If we want to gather people, if we want to influence people, if we want them to listen, we have to be worth listening to. That's why I loved, like, on your... Um, uh, your slides for the week, fidget church, what a great idea, just trying to be a bit creative in it, a bit differently, so let's be relevant in our words, let's be caring in our actions, in other words, we're not, we're not just caring for our community so we can preach at them, 
We're caring for our community because it's what we should do as human beings. It's what we should do as Jesus followers because Jesus did it with no false motives. I know some churches who are doing things, caring for their community and doing things like food banks, not because they do care, but there's a, there's a bit of an ulterior motive. We're going to do that so that we can preach them. It's like, we need to feed their stomach before we feed their souls. We need to get the right. And I don't disagree with earning the right, but for me, the Great Commission gives us the right. But what we do need to understand is part of the Great Commission is about loving people and being kind and caring to people. So caring actions. Look at Proverbs, message version. Love this verse. Never walk away from someone who deserves your help. Your hand is God's hand for that person. Isn't that a lovely way of putting it? Absolutely love it. Spirit empowered. Oh, we want that, right? But when we get spirit empowered, it's not that we don't need to care anymore. It's not that we don't need to use relevant words. I hear people saying, all we need is a move of the spirit. It's never worked like that. It's never been, if with spirit moves, it negates our responsibility. We almost treat it as though, oh, if we get revival, then that'll change everything. No, when Jesus walked on the planet, there was still a whole bunch of people who believed he was Jesus, and so that didn't, including one of his family members. Imagine how awkward that conversation is around the dinner table. Just, let's not fool ourselves. Spirit, when the spirit moves, we're going to be even more busy. We're going to be even more busy. Uh, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and the utter ends of the earth. Do you remember what would Jesus do? Well, I'm changing, I'm changing that. I've got a new movement. I'm not going to buy any rubber bands or anything like that. IWJD. Relevant words, caring action, spirit and pound. It's what Jesus did. And if we want to be Jesus in our world, this is what we've got to do. Look at this. Matthew 9.35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. Acts 10.30, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with his Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good. It's funny, isn't it? Full of the Spirit, he went around doing good. I love that. Spirit empowered, doing good. That's what we need. So he went around doing good and, ha um, and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. I'm almost done. And uh, maybe we'll just uh, have a, an opportunity to respond at the end. Um, I'm not going to lead us into a come forward, the coaches will wait response. What I am going to do is just suggest a way that we can move forward as individual Christians. You see, as long as I've been a Christian, people have been saying to me, revival is just around the corner. How flipping long is that corner? Do you know what I mean? 30, I mean, I've been a Christian now, 38, 39 years. 39 years around, that's a long flipping corner, isn't it? Well, maybe if revival is around the corner, well, let's not wait for it to come round to us. Yeah, if I found out there was a piece of cake around the corner, I wouldn't be waiting for somebody to bring it round to me. As, as you can see. I'd be going around that flipping garden and getting said cake and eating it. Do you know what I mean? So I believe God is at move around the corner.
But what does that mean? I think it's around the corner out there in our communities. Just by going out there, being relevant in our words, caring in our actions, full of the Spirit, that we can go around the corner and it's just about looking and seeing where God might be moving. Just raising our head like mere cats do. I don't suggest you do that because that would be slightly weird. For every time you went out of your house, you went like this. That's weird. But maybe just have the antennae up. Maybe, God, would you lead me? Would you guide me? Expect that God is doing something and not that he is going to do something. It's a total difference. God's at work out there, folks. And it's the job of every single believer to go around the corner, full of the Spirit, and that means we've got to live holy lives, walk well, sin less, devote a bit more, go around the corner with our relevant words, our caring actions, in the power of the Spirit, understanding the journey that people go on and walking with them. And then we'll begin to make disciples and be better disciples. I hope that's given you something to, to chew over, to think through. Uh, I hope it's encouraged you. I hope it's inspired you. I hope you feel you can get some of the resources I mentioned just to help equip you wherever, where that's appropriate. Uh, but I wonder whether I might just pray and then I'll, I'll hand back over to you, Kev. Oh, Lord, we know that you're working in so many people's lives. Lord, would you help us to, yeah, just be a little bit more expectant and watchful. Maybe today, Lord. Maybe today and from today. We might be that bit more available, that bit more willing. Help us to work on all the things we need to work on. Lord, fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. Help us to walk in holiness, Lord. Full of your Spirit. Caring for people from a pure motive. Being relevant in our words. Looking to join people on the journey. That we might bring them to you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Bless you, folks. Thanks for listening and for giving me your ears this morning. I hope that's been a blessing to you. Okay.